This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Please join me in opening your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Colossians. We'll be in Colossians chapter 1. And with God's help, I'd like to begin a look at the book of Colossians this morning. And uh, over the next year or so, uh, take time to work through this book, uh, focusing on something that we all need, the basics. Have you ever seen someone do something that you, you just couldn't begin to do, and you were amazed by it? Uh, for the sake of illustration, let's say that you cannot play the piano at all. Some of you say that's very easy for me to imagine. All right, but let's imagine you cannot play the piano at all, and you suppose that non-piano playing you listens to someone who is a virtuoso piano player, and they, they play an incredible piece of classical music, or maybe they play an intricate and moving rendition of a hymn, or they play something else, and you listen to it, and you, you think, I wish I could play that. And then you say, you know what? Wishing isn't enough. I'm going to do it. I'm going to get to the point where I can play that song just like they did. And so you call up the best music teacher that you know, and you lay it all out for them. You say, look, I have zero experience. I have no idea what I'm doing, but I want to play this. Help me to play this. Well, what would the teacher do after laughing at you? Would they say, okay, you want to play this song? Well, here's the music to this song. Let's start working on it. Well, no. Instead, they would probably sit you at the piano and they would say, this is middle C. And they would begin to explain to you, not the intricacies of playing that song that you really want to play. They would begin to explain to you the basics of playing the piano. And they would give you an, assign, an assignment, something for you to play. But it wouldn't be that beautiful, intricate piece of uh, music that you, you want to be able to play. It would be something very simple, and it would probably be a stretch to even call it music. Now, if you worked hard enough and you worked long enough, you might get to the point where you could play that song just like that person you'd listen to, that expert playing it. But you wouldn't spend the majority of your time working on that song. You would spend the majority of your time working on the basics, learning how to play the piano, learning those foundational things before you could get to the point where you're playing that uh, fancy song that you really want to be able to play. Well, in our spiritual lives, I think we all have some idea of what the truly victorious Christian life looks like. And we can think, if only I could imitate the prayer life of George Mueller, or I could imitate the preaching of Charles Spurgeon, or if only I could figure out the plan that D.L. Moody used when he shared the gospel. If I could figure those things out, then I too would be a victorious Christian, greatly used by God like they were. Now, I don't want to suggest that it's not worthwhile 
to consider the lives of Christians in the past, those whom God has greatly used. It can certainly be a help and a challenge to us to consider them, but if we're going to live the victorious Christian life, it's not going to be because we've learned to imitate someone else. If we're going to be who we ought to be for the Lord, we're going to have to get to the basics. Sometimes we, myself included, can become obsessed with finding some new idea or a new key to a better understanding of living out the Christian life. There's got to be some secret out there, and if only I can find the secret and I can learn that, then I've got it figured out. But in reality, what most of us really need is to look again at the most fundamental elements of our Christian faith. It's to return to those most basic things. That's why as we look at the book of Colossians, I want to focus on the basics. Now, what are the elements that make Christianity, Christianity? Uh, Colossians is a simple book. It's shorter than others of Paul's letters. And there's nothing that's terribly unique about this book that sets it apart from the other epistles. Uh, It could be argued that if you took the book of Ephesians, six chapters long, and you squeezed it down into four chapters, you'd more or less end up with what we have in Colossians. It's not that it sticks out from all the other books in a a great way. Uh, It's a letter written by Paul to believers in a town that he had not visited. He probably knew very few of them personally. And so as he writes, he's focusing on what he knows that group most needs, the basic truths of the Christian faith. With that in mind, let's turn our attention to the first few verses of Colossians 1. Paul says in verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timotheus our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ which are at Colossae, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul's following a familiar pattern uh, with this initial greeting. This is often how his epistles will begin. And then, as was also his custom, he gives some personal words to this church. He says, beginning in verse 3, We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which ye have to all the saints, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. Whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which is come unto you as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit, as it doth also in you, since the day ye heard of it, and knew the grace of God in truth. As ye also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. Now if you ever turn in a paper, and you have a sentence that long, you're probably going to get marks off for that. <laughs> Often with Paul, we, we read these things and we're like, wow, there's so much there. How can, we, how can we get our minds around this? What all is going on here? Well, we're going to take some time to dig into these verses and, and try to unpack uh, some of the information that's here. But I want to focus in, as we do that, on one word in verse 5 that is arguably central to all of what Paul is saying here. And that is the word hope. If you ever find yourself in Aberdeen, Scotland, 
you might decide that you could go for an hour-long drive uh, into the mountains. And if you were to end up near the royal estate of Balmoral, and you were to decide to do a little exploring, uh, you might hike into the surrounding mountains, and you might come upon a surprising sight. At the top of one of those mountains is something that I certainly wouldn't expect to find in the mountains of Scotland, a pyramid. It's large. The base measures 41 feet by 41 feet. And if you were to examine it a little more closely, and who could resist doing that, you would soon realize that though there is not a body buried at the site, in many ways, this is like the pyramids built by the ancient Egyptians, specifically in the fact that it is a monument to the dead. In many ways, it's also a monument to despair. Queen Victoria of England built, had this odd stone structure built after the death of her beloved husband, Albert, in 1861. And she was overcome with grief at his passing, and this is only one of the monuments that she built to his memory. She was paralyzed by the sorrow that she faced, writing to her daughter, Why may not the earth swallow me up? And history tells us that though she lived on for 40 more years after his death, she never really recovered from it. She continued to reign, but she was forever changed. Her hope taken away by the death of her husband. Sadly, hers is not a completely unique story. Instead, it seems that we're always hearing one story or another about someone who has lost Our world is desperate to find hope for the hopeless. But hope is not just a a buzzword in our secular world. Hope is one of the central principles of our Christian faith. And you might ask, well, why? Why is hope so important? Well, let's take a look again at what Paul says here in Colossians 1. In verse 3, he says that he and Timothy have been giving thanks to God... And they've been praying for the Christians in Colossae. He then explains they've been doing those things ever since they heard about the faith that the Colossian believers had in Christ and their love for other believers. So this is something that's been ongoing. They heard about what God is doing in the lives of the Colossians. And they're giving thanks to God. And they're praying. But then we come to verse 5. And Paul's just been talking about their faith and love. And then he says, For... Or we could say, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. So Paul seems to suggest here that the faith and love of the Colossian believers flow out of their hope. It's because of their hope that this kind of faith and love have been developed in them. This hope is key to what's going on in their lives. To these good things that Paul and Timothy have heard about. Clearly, this concept of biblical hope is very important. And Paul is allowing his opening comments here to focus in on this fact. And if you, if you have a question about just how central this theme is to Scripture, just do a search of the word hope in your New Testament. And you'll find that it's certainly a recurring theme there, especially in the epistles. In fact, Paul references hope in all but two of his letters. 
This is really an important concept. But we can't really grasp why until we understand the nature of hope. You say, well, okay, this is something that's important, but um, this brings us to a question that you might think we should have started with, and that's, what is hope? We can't really talk about this if we don't understand what we're talking about. Well, before we talk about what makes the biblical concept of hope hope unique, I want to think generally about what hope is. Hope is looking beyond. There's a difference between hope and observation. Paul says that uh, hope in that which is seen is not hope. So, for me to say, I hope that I have a bottle of water in my hand, that would be a silly thing for me to say. You say, you don't hope, you see it, it's, it's right there. Hope is not looking around, noticing what's going on, uh, observing. Hope has to do with that which is not seen. Hope is looking beyond. So, you might say, I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow. Well, the forecast says it probably will. But you're looking beyond that and envisioning a world where it doesn't. You might look under the hood of your vehicle and say, I hope I figure out why it won't start. Right now, you don't know why. But you can see a world beyond that where you have figured out the problem. So hope is looking beyond. Now, it varies in degree of confidence. So it could be wishful thinking, like me hoping that I'm going to be able to figure out anything mechanically with my vehicle. Or it could have a great deal of confidence. Like if you're hoping it's going to rain and the forecast says there's an 80% chance, you probably have a decent degree of confidence that's going to happen. What really makes biblical hope unique is that degree of confidence. Because biblical hope is looking beyond, but it's looking beyond with complete confidence. Separate from biblical hope, if we say hope, we might have a certain amount of confidence that something's going to happen. But we can't say that 100%. There's still some degree of, I'm wishing for this, but I don't know. When we talk about biblical hope, this is not a, I'm wishing for something. There is complete confidence in this. This is something that is unique, that is separate from any hope that is in the world. Biblical hope looks far beyond a world where my car won't start, and I don't know what the weather is going to do. Paul says in verse 5 that the hope of the Colossian believers is laid up in heaven. Our hope as, as believers in Christ is focused on heaven. Now, I don't mean by that that hope means it's all going to be over someday, and I'll escape from all of this. No, hope is recognizing that there are realities that are beyond this world. There are things that are eternal. That is the hope that is laid up for us in heaven. Things that are real, but we can't look around and see them. We have to look beyond. Later in Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, Paul equates Christ in you with the hope of glory. So biblical hope is about looking beyond, beyond our daily circumstances, beyond setbacks and disappointments, beyond even the deepest and most impactful circumstances of our life 
to a person and a place that transcends all that. Biblical hope looks beyond and finds strength in the eternal. So in one sense, hope is all about perspective. Hope is about looking not at life's disappointments, but at God's promises. It's about looking not at the stumblings and flaws of of sinful humanity, but at a righteousness that will one day be made perfect. It's looking not at the parts about being a Christian that are downright hard, but at the day of Christ's appearing. Not at the abundance or lack of worldly belongings, but at a divine inheritance. Not at life's ugliness, but at eternal glory. Not at the pain and brevity of earthly life, but at the reality of everlasting life. That's what true biblical hope is. Looking beyond. And there's both encouragement and a warning in that concept. Encouragement because hope can make us strong. It can carry us through. But hope also separates us from lesser things. You might think, well, this is all wonderful. That sounds great. That kind of perspective, that kind of confidence, that ability to look beyond. Uh, I'm, I'm in. I want that. But where does that kind of hope come from? Well, we see the source of hope as we look again at Colossians 1. In verse 5, For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. How are we introduced to this hope? Well, Paul said the Colossians found out about it in the word of the truth of the gospel. We find hope in the message of the gospel. Paul is bold enough to say in Romans 8.24, for we are saved by hope. What does he mean by that? Well, what's the message of the gospel? The message of the gospel is all of this that you see, the life that you're living, this tangible world, there is more. You have an eternal soul. There is a transcendent God who you are responsible to. The good news of Jesus Christ dying for us, paying for our sin, and the free offer of salvation, it's all a call to look beyond. To not be just settle for what we can see and when we look around, but to look beyond that to that which is eternal. That's what the gospel is all about. And when we trust in Jesus Christ for eternal salvation, one of the great driving forces in our lives becomes hope. Looking ahead to eternity. Trusting God to fulfill all he has promised. We are taught to hope in the message of the gospel. Peter says in 1 Peter 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively or living by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. When we come to Christ, he teaches us to hope, to look beyond with complete confidence. 
Paul goes on and he says in verse 6 of Colossians 1, which, he's speaking of the gospel, is come unto you as it is in all the world and bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you since the day ye heard of it and knew the grace of God in truth. So he's saying this gospel, God's hope in you is doing this work. It's growing you. You're bringing forth fruit. As you come to know, as you come to know God's grace more and more, he's doing his work in your life. And then there's one more key element here in these verses that we shouldn't miss. In verses 7 and 8, Paul says, As ye also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. What is Paul saying here? Well, he's saying that God used a messenger to bring the gospel to the Colossians. God used a messenger to introduce them to hope. Why is that significant? Well, it ought to be very significant to each of us. Because all of us have the potential to be a listener, listener, and all of us have the potential to be a messenger. God has chosen that it would be through his people that the message of gospel, that the message of hope would go out into this world. Epaphras was God's faithful servant who shared the good news of Jesus Christ and introduced the people at Colossae to true biblical hope. So this idea is so key to our Christian faith. It's tied up with the very message of the gospel. Hope that we are not tied to this world that our perspective is not just in what we can look around at, but that we as believers, at the very center of our beings, have this hope that we are able to look beyond with complete confidence because we know who God is, we know what He has done, and we know what He has promised. But many people would look at Christianity and they would say, you know, you have this idea that you're holding on to. Um, you know, you, you're, you're, uh, you've got this wishful thinking about what's going to be and who God really is and the promises he's made. And, but just face enough disappointment in this life and you'll give up hope. That's often the perspective of the world. The more hardship we face, the less hope we have. And so they think, Christians, if, if, you, if you just stick around for a while and it gets hard enough, then you'll give up hope. You see. You'll let go of all this. Often we can think that the more experience someone has of suffering, the less likely they are to have hope. But God's word actually suggests the opposite. Paul says in Romans 5, verses 3 through 5, he says, And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. Now, if we could stop and talk about that phrase and say, Whoa, where'd that come from? Glory in tribulations. We don't get that. All right, why would you be happy about the hardship that's coming? But Paul said we're able to glory in tribulations. And he gives part of the reason as he continues on here, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. And patience, experience. And experience, hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God 
is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. That's the amazing thing about true biblical hope. The hope this world has, the more that comes at you, the harder things get, the less hope you have. True biblical hope, the harder things get, the more comes at you, the stronger your hope becomes. The more that you know I can trust in him, the more that you can know that those things that I'm looking beyond to, that's real. This past week in the kids' time during the revival meetings, I had a chance to introduce the the children to Adoniram Judson. If you don't know about Adoniram Judson, he was an incredible man. And I'd be happy to recommend some books to you if you you need to learn more about who he is. Um, Which, if you don't know him, you do need to learn more about who he is. But he was the first American Christian missionary. He went to the country of Burma in Southeast Asia. A dangerous and hard mission field with people who are very closed to the idea of Christianity and who were entirely ignorant of the biblical God. But Judson and his wife Anne set to work anyway. As Judson carried out his ministry, sorrow seemed to follow him everywhere he went. He and Anne lost a baby before they even made it to Burma. Then they lost another baby when he was only about six months old. When Anne was expecting their third child, Judson was arrested. Burma and Great Britain were at war at the time, and though Judson was American, not British, because he was a foreigner, uh, he was under suspicion, and he was put, he was imprisoned under uh, terrible circumstances. And while he was still in prison, Anne gave birth to a daughter. Happily, as the war came to an end, Adoniram found himself again free and reunited with his wife and daughter, but his joy was not to last. He was called away for a job interpreting in the Burmese capital, and while he was there, he received a shocking letter telling him that his wife Anne was dead. Several months later, his daughter Maria died as well, and soon after that, he received word that his father back in America had also passed away. And as this all came on him at the same time, Adoniram entered a time of deep darkness in his life. He retreated from the society of the other missionaries. He chose instead to sequester himself in the jungle. He neglected his work of Bible translation, which for so long had been occupied so much of his thought and toil. He had a grave dug beside his jungle hut so he could contemplate death. He lived for about two years in almost total isolation, And in one letter he said, God is to me the great unknown. I believe in him, but I find him not. But during the year 1830, Judson slowly came out of his time of deep discouragement. You might say, what made the change? It's interesting for me to think of him in contrast with Queen Victoria I mentioned earlier. She she never came out of it. But Adoniram, after all of that, he, he came out of this discouragement. He came out of this despair. And, and what caused that? Well, some have suggested it was connected to him hearing that his brother had died, but had come to Christ before his death. Some have suggested that he simply needed the time to grieve. And once he was done grieving, he was able to come out of that time. 
But whatever the exact circumstances that brought Adoniram back from the dark place, there is one thing at the center of what made the change. Hope. Adoniram had hope. Because he knew God, he was able to look beyond. To see the eternal past the unthinkably heartbreaking reality of his earthly circumstances. Judson himself put it this way, in spite of sorrow, loss, and pain, our course be onward still. We sow on Burma's barren plain, we reap on Zion's hill. Yes, the sowing happened in a world filled with sorrow and pain. But there was hope. Because if we look beyond, we see the reaping. The eternal reaping. We see something that is far greater than whatever it is that we are called to face here. Something that is eternal. We are able to look beyond our current circumstances to Christ and to heaven. Hebrews 6.19 calls our hope an anchor of the soul. Let me read to you again the words of Colossians 1, 1-8. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timotheus our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ which are at Colossae, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, and of the love which ye have to all the saints, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which is come unto you as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit, as it doth also in you since the day ye heard of it, and knew the grace of God in truth. As ye also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. I want to ask you this morning, do you know the reality of this hope? Do you know what it means to be able to look beyond with complete confidence? If you're without Christ, I already know the answer. If you have never responded to the good news of Jesus Christ, if you've never placed your faith in Him for salvation, you cannot know this kind of hope. You can only know true hope if you're willing to look beyond the pleasures and pains of this life to eternity, recognizing that you are a sinner facing eternal separation from God. You must recognize that Jesus Christ came to die and pay for your sin. To offer eternal life and an eternal relationship with himself. Hope is just one of the blessed side effects of having Christ. If you do not know Christ, then all of this is a mystery to you. And I urge you to come to Christ today. If you are a believer, if you say, I know, I believe the gospel, I want to ask you, are you experiencing the hope that we've seen this morning? You have that hope, but is that your daily experience of life? 
are you looking beyond to that which is eternal? Or are you too stuck on the things that surround you on earth? God calls each of us as Christians to look again to the truths of the gospel, the realities of eternity, of heaven and hell, of glory and righteousness and peace that will last forever in the presence of God. In a world that's filled with hopeless people, we ought to be distinctly different. Peter hit on this in 1 Peter 3. He told his readers there, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Do we run the danger of having someone ask the reason for the hope that is in us? This is truly one of the foundational principles of our faith. And we are called, like Epaphras, to share this with others. But do we know this hope? Are we living in the reality of true biblical hope? We need God's grace to exercise our hope, to learn in good or bad, in fortune or misfortune, to look beyond to look to Christ, who is our hope. Let's pray together. Father, this is such a foundational principle, but it is so far beyond our ability to begin to express. Father, I thank you that we do have hope that goes beyond just this world. The hope that people without Christ can have is is so weak. Father, thank you that we can have complete confidence as we look beyond our circumstances, beyond our trials, to that which is eternal, and to a God who is eternal, and to Christ who eternally saves. And Lord, I pray this morning that you would bring us face to face with this truth. I pray for anyone here this morning who does not know this hope because they do not know Christ who is our hope. I pray that you would help them to see their need for Christ today. Not just so that they can have hope in a hopeless world, but because they need eternal salvation. They need to be made right with a God whom they have sinned against. Lord, help us all. We can get so caught up in our troubles even in our joys that are here on earth. We're so busy looking around that we don't take time to look beyond and to look up. I pray that you'd help us to be people of hope. That our lives would be markedly different. That there would be cause for people to come to us and ask the reason of the hope that is in us. Father, guide us in this. Teach us these truths, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened. And we want to encourage you to share this message with others. 
May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.